Osiris. We wanted to find a way where we both were the singers together, mm -hmm. the singer together. And that's how it happened. Because our voices are very different on their own, but when they come together, it does create this third voice that's neither mine nor Holly's. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose. And if I sound a little different than usual, it's because I'm coming to you from my hotel room in Austin, Texas, where I have been stranded for a few extra days than I had planned after my Austin City Limits performance on Friday, October 8th. All of our flights were canceled, but we made the most of it and got to enjoy an incredible festival for just a little bit longer than we were planning on. And all the stress and anxiety of these travel snafus was worth it because the crowd at Austin City Limits was so high energy and warm and welcoming. And it was my first time performing at the festival. I had been in attendance before, but I hadn't yet played. So it was a red letter day and kind of a wild weekend. These are wild times. Touring has been very touch and go. We're so happy to be out there, but it's still a strange time to gather audiences together. And in the case of Austin City Limits, they required everyone in attendance to be vaccinated. So it was really fun. We felt safe, but we're not out of the woods yet. But I think another sign of the times is that I finally got to meet in person one of the badass women who is the reason this whole podcast exists. I always reference one of my producers, Kirsten Cluthy, at the end of the show and I got to meet her in New York City last week before my show at Mercury Lounge. And it was just so wonderful to see in the flesh someone that I've been seeing on a screen and collaborating with for almost the last two years. So hopefully that's a sign of good things to come. Kirsten Cluthy, I love you. Thank you for everything you do. But let's get into our podcast today. We're talking to the one and only Lucius. They're one of my favorite duos out there, but they really call themselves one voice. So we're going to talk to Holly Lessig and Jess Wolf who met at Berklee School of Music and found that they had the same approach to their art. Their sound came together in a super organic way when they started to gig together. We talk about their influences, how they created their unique sound, singing in unison, the one voice, both as lead singers with a beautiful harmonious blending of their voices. And it's not only the sound and the blend together that's so appealing about them. If you've seen them live, you know that their visual presence is also wonderfully complementary to their music. Their visual combined with their music makes for an incredible live performance. They wear 
matching wigs and outfits on stage, and they just are this bound together entity. We get into the dynamics of their relationships in and out of the band, what they're working on, and how they're spending the rest of this year. I had the privilege of getting to meet Jess at Newport Folk Fest earlier this summer, and she was just an absolute delight. So welcoming to me. So it was nice to meet her other half virtually. Enjoy this episode of Salute the Songbird and keep an eye out for Lucius. He'll be hitting the road next year. People always say, when you have a kid, it's going to be a tired that you have never known. And I'd always think, I don't know, because there was that, <laughs> those years of Wilda Woman that were deliriously tired. I don't know that I'll be more tired than that. And I was right. I don't think I was, even now, I don't think I'm as tired as then. <laughs> so I think that did prepare me. I mean, yeah, it's different when you're like traveling 250 days out of the year, waking up at six in the morning to do a radio show in Chicago after having played Minneapolis the night before and driving through a storm. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah. So I guess it prepares you. Yeah. For sleepless nights. We were DIYing it too. Like, oh yeah. We were in a 12 passenger van for years. Right. We would sleep on the floor of the van Mm -hmm. while another would sleep on half of the bench. Like it was, it was rough. That's hardcore. We definitely did our thing, you know, and you know, it was a time when our band was just breaking out and people were getting excited about it, but we still had only been to, well, most of the cities we had never even been to. And we were, you know, rough in it. I mean, and you were also just trying to get to that level of establishment where you could finally like just breathe for a second. But I imagine with motherhood, it's the emotional aspect too. You're caring for another person mm-hmm. when we're on tour. We're physically exhausted, but we are just worried about our own yeah. survival, our own music. You probably have all these components of, I need to feed and keep this person alive, not mm-hmm. just myself. And they can't sleep on the floor of an 18 passenger van or 12 passenger van. Yeah. And oh, yeah. that's really exciting. That is a chapter I'm looking forward to at some point. But let's go to Wilda Woman. You guys met at Berkeley, which I think is awesome because I have so many friends in Nashville who got connected with great musicians because of their community at Berkeley. They came from towns where there wasn't a big thriving artist community. I know Jess, you came from Los Angeles, but Holly, you came from Ohio where maybe there weren't a lot of people to collaborate with. So Berkeley gave you this place to connect and you guys met and was it like you just knew right off the bat or how did that collaborative effort start? Well, we had mutual friends that were our roommates basically. And so we got kind of hooked up that way and started hanging out. And then Jess had a a little house party at one point. And that was sort of the night that we started talking about musical influences and realizing we had a lot of the same ones and we thought, oh, we should do something together. Maybe we'll do a show of covers or something, but we should sing together. And we ended up getting together and, yeah, I don't know. One of the first things we did was start working on our own song. And then we just kept 
writing other songs and then we just kept rehearsing and kind of putting a band together and it just continued from there. There wasn't really a concrete conversation of like, let's start a band, let's do the thing. It just sort of evolved into that. Mm -hmm. It seems really organic though, just from my vantage point. Yeah, I think also what's special is that we never like forced it to be something it wasn't. And we really took the time to nurture the songwriting. You know, we weren't out on the road until we knew that people would be showing up to our shows. We didn't want to lose a bunch of money that we didn't have. And we knew that it would take time to really develop a sound, create something that was uniquely our own. And that took a couple of years. You know, we did a lot of open mics and we ended up moving to Brooklyn together after like a year and a half or a year of working together. And then in Brooklyn, we lived about a 15 minute walk from bar four, which was just a little park slope bar that no longer exists, but they had a Tuesday night open mic and we did it for a year, every Mm -hmm. Tuesday. I think what really helped us is that we didn't put the pressure on to be something until there was something to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Every step along the way, though, was very gung-ho. It was like, let's meet up tomorrow and write a song. Let's meet at 9 o'clock and we'll <laughs> get coffee and then we'll do this from five hours and whatever. And it was always a work day. Even if we didn't have a grand plan, it was like everything along the way was a work day. Mm-hmm. Intentional. Well, and you all, both of you had jobs on the side too, to make ends meet because you're living in Brooklyn, which is Mm -hmm. not necessarily affordable. Although looking back, like we had a steal. (laughs) Right. Comparing to today's standards. Yeah, right. I know it's it's gotten out of control. But was the songwriting creative process for you, like your respite from all the other hard work you were doing throughout the day? It seems like I think it just kept us like going. We were excited about it. We were excited to right. make something. We were inspired by a lot of music. We were listening to a lot of music. I remember when Little Dragon first popped on our radar and we were obsessed with those songs and Boney Bears Forever Ago. And we had never really listened to anything like that. So I think being inspired and being in a place where you're constantly inspired was helpful in that too. Mm-hmm. When it seems like you having this unadulterated start to your art form is what has made everything seem so intentional, at least from my perspective, because I'm an example of someone who was thrown into the industry with a big formula around me into the machine. This is the template. This is how you need to write. These are the songs you're going to cut. And I had to basically deprogram all of that a few years into my career to figure out who I wanted to be, but you all had each other and this friendship and this mm. musical foundation because of your education, meeting, and then moving together and going through this adventure that makes everything seem organic, not calculated, but really purposeful. How did the whole idea of these like two voices becoming one galvanize? We really loved... Elliot Smith and Phil Spector and a lot of the recordings where voices were doubled. And, you know, there were a lot of groups that would sing in harmonies, but there weren't 
a lot of groups that had two singers singing in unison. Mm -hmm. And we both wanted to sing lead and not like, I want to sing lead. Not, not an argument. Just like we wanted to find a way where we both were the singers together, mm -hmm. the singer together. And that's how it happened. We started singing together and we realized because our voices are very different on their own. But when they come together, it does create this third voice that's neither mine nor Holly's. You know, without the other, it's not what it is. So. There's so much symbiosis there. And I think that your sound being that third voice and you guys complement each other so well, and it really genuinely being a collaboration that you share equally, that correlates with also your image. I think apart from each other, you both are very unique and don't really resemble each other, but you bring that concept to life by resembling each other on stage and wearing the same outfits. And it's just, it's a really cool experience. How did that idea come by for your aesthetic? Well, we were originally kind of coordinating our outfits and then wasn't it at the first South by Jess? Yeah, we were at South by and a friend came up to us and was like, you know, you should dress exactly alike. When I'm listening to you, I'm listening to one. So you should just dress exactly alike. And we were like, hmm, <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, and we started dressing exactly alike. Yeah. And, you know, we were always inspired by artists like David Bowie and Bjork, Freddie Mercury, like people who had a very strong visual presence. And aesthetic was important. We wanted to be transported. I grew up in the theater I loved the idea of costumes and makeup. So we kind of just rolled with that and it became more wild and eccentric as we went on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pandemic's been great because we could just wear our hair in a bun. Yeah. You know? Well, I was just going to say for people listening right now who can't see, even when you guys are just like chilling in your homes, uh -huh. you both have the same top knot and these <laughs> awesome micro bangs and you look great and you're, you're still following through with that <laughs> concept. I mean, it really is, you said the word transport. It's so effective when you guys are just together doing your own headlining dates, but also when you're accompanying these other artists. There's a playlist on Spotify that you put together and there's 60 songs of other artists' works that you're featured on mm -hmm. as background vocalists. And I think that's a testament to your ability as you complement each other to complement other artists, but also the visual presentation when you get with someone like Roger Waters on stage is just stunning. And I see a lot of journalists who write about you and they use the word striking 
And it's just so fitting because it just brings you to this place where you guys are like a really cohesive unit together, but also just as another additional member of all these different outfits and bands. How do you choose who you want to be featured with? Because I imagine you have to get requests for this all the time, and then this will lead us to the Newport Folk Fest story. I mean, we've been very fortunate. I think it started that people would ask us to do backgrounds and we would do them. And sometimes it was just friends. And then sometimes, you know, the producer that we've worked with for a long time, Sean Everett, has brought us on to a lot of projects. And Sean's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's an amazingly talented, the most talented person we probably know. Casey Musgraves. I mean, all the people he's worked with. It's yeah, astounding. quite a pedigree. Yes. And I guess like through people seeing us either with Roger or in our own band, they would ask us to sing on other stuff. We played Jeff Tweedy's Solid Sound Festival and they asked us to come sing a couple songs. And then after that, Jeff was doing a family project called Tweedy with his son Spencer and they asked us to come sing on it. And, you know, it's sort of just like, and then somebody hears that and asks us to do something else. And then it sort of became a thing. Well, we've been very lucky that we've gotten to work with so many artists that we are truly fans of. No, it's really varietal lineup of people too, with Roger Waters and Harry Styles and Cheryl Crow, Mavis Staples. I know Jay Sweet was one of the liaisons for you in your initial opportunity with Roger Waters. And then that led to Desert Trip, which is that amazing festival that happened um, out in Indio, California with Tom Petty and Paul McCartney. And you just kept saying yes to these amazing opportunities because first of all, who wouldn't, but they were just, this is the caliber of musician that everyone dreams to eventually get on stage with. I think also like specifically Roger, I don't think we would have ever gone on tour with somebody had it not been something where we were going to be really Lucius in that experience. Like he loves our band. Thankfully we did meet him through Newport and he really wanted to honor what it is that we do and let us bring what it is that we do to his project. And because of that, it made it easy to say yes to taking, you know, I think we were really exhausted from touring and needing a little time to do something just the two of us and this opportunity presented itself and really did feature us so that's why we took that opportunity you know I think it is one of those things that we juggle like background singers versus Lucius and I think any time that we're deciding to be a part of something it's really important that either we're in love with the music or it's going to allow us to be us.
seems like all of these opportunities, these collaborations, they've allowed you to take up that space and not relegate you to a hired gun kind of position where you can be your own entity. And I think that comes across just in anything that I've seen online from these performances. You guys are elevating all of these shows and these artists who already have such a huge following are sharing their audiences with you and those people are sticking with you. If I look through comments on your videos on YouTube, they're like, Roger Waters brought me here years ago and I've been a fan of theirs ever since. So you have these opportunities, but then you retain these listeners. And it's these are people who listen to all different types of music mm -hmm. originally, but then are brought to you and you are kind of the common thread between all of these people. Mm -hmm. What do you attribute that to? Just your general awesomeness? <laughs> or like, Isn't that wild that you don't really have a genre of fan? Yeah. Well, I think we like all different types of music and all different genres and have so much fun trying to see what we can contribute to different styles. And honestly, I don't really know because we get approached by so many different artists. I'm not totally sure what it is about us that, that creates such this wide span yeah. of people. But And even like opening for other artists, like if you look at the list of people that we've just opened for it really is such a diverse <laughs> eclectic group of artists I mean I think it's makes things exciting it's probably been a blessing and a curse like I'm sure that I think it is easy for people to want to put something in a box and that's not a bad thing I don't think it is like, I don't think it's a bad thing to say like, this is this. We always have the most challenging time trying to describe what it is that we do. Right. But at the same time, we've had experiences that are so vast and mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate that we can resonate with an older audience, a much younger audience that it, because of that and the types of artists that we've worked with and the types of people that have supported us, we've, you know, been able to connect with different types of people. And sustain those connections. I mean, I saw it just before my eyes when we were at Newport Folk Fest. The way that we met was I was walking on stage with Devin Gilfillian and Jess basically just threw her arm around me. And then we were singing on stage together. And then we were over at Nathaniel Ratliff's stage and you were up there and and you're up with Yola and Brandy Carlisle and Shaka Khan. And you just were so at ease with all of these people. And I know that that comes from just years of building these relationships, but I didn't know you. I mean, we knew of each other, but it's just that welcoming inclusivity. We like people. And I think we both grew up in places where we weren't welcomed. I think being able to change that for our lives and have the ability to express that outwardly to our community is really important to us. And it's like a no brainer. I mean, I feel like there's zero positive that comes from exclusion. Yeah. Other than making somebody feel bad. Mm -hmm. Was the exclusion that you felt earlier on in your life, something that 
encourage you to make art and find your own individuality or what were the ways in which you felt like you weren't embraced early on? For me, it was, there wasn't much emphasis on jobs of creativity or hobbies of creativity. I mean, it was very much like football and I was terrible at sports. So that that was like (laughs) first strike. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I want, I was so curious. I had such an imagination and I wanted to share that with others. And I had a couple of friends and my family, luckily my family was very supportive and they're also artistic. So that was like my safe haven. And I feel very lucky for that, but everywhere else around me didn't feel like I could find that. So when I went to Berkeley, I was like, Oh my God, it's, Mm -hmm. it's like me finding my bees in the blind melon video. I always think of that, (laughs) but I love that. And yeah, and finding Jess and having that kind of similar experience of not being totally understood as a kid and, and wanting to explore these fantasies of creativity. I don't know. I had a similar experience where my family was really encouraging, but there just wasn't that collaborative energy. I was the only one who sang or produced music in my family and they loved to listen, but I didn't have an outlet or any place to displace this energy until I got linked up with a Bruce Springsteen tribute band when I was like 16. And I could see why Berkeley would be a Mecca Mm -hmm. for you. If you don't have that growing up, it's like, well, where do we go? Where do we know that we're going to have like-minded people? Yeah. And that's such a great opportunity. Mine was just moving to Nashville and getting in the thick of the shit here. It just makes a lot of sense that that would be the place where all of this creativity was born and Mm -hmm. nurtured and you finally feel seen. Mm -hmm. Did your family support you, Jess, or did you have any musical surroundings? You know, from a young age, my parents recognized that I had something that they didn't even really understand because they're non-musical. My mom is an artistic person for sure. My dad is a big music lover. We listened to a lot of records together. It was a big part of our connection. Still is. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a musical family at all. I would be singing at a young age or, and I, I begged my parents to put me in theater and my mom signed me up for piano lessons and then singing lessons. And so I was very much, they enabled it a hundred percent, but I didn't have, I didn't have a strong community. We had a community theater and there were some great talented kids in there, but I just didn't have that group of friends that I felt lonely and I spent a lot of time in my imagination. I spent a lot of time creating at home for hours and hours. I mean, building worlds for myself to live in and probably to escape to, Mm -hmm. to a certain degree. It was unwavering. Like I never hesitated in knowing what it was that I wanted to do. And so choosing a school was really just like, what's going to be the best place for me to do? what it is I love.
everybody. I am walking through the airport right now, <laughs> trying to get back home, but I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Holly and Jess, who are just so fantastic. It was a little nerve wracking to actually host this conversation because I've been fans of theirs for a long time. And even though I had met Jess a few weeks prior to this conversation at Newport Folk Fest and she was so sweet to me, it was quite another thing to get Lucius, both of them together with me in a room, albeit virtual. But as I've been struggling with so many other people in the country to get back to our loved ones or to honor obligations, weddings, funerals, put a show on. I've realized how their theme of working together in harmony really applies to all of us. I've been seeing people really take care of others in a time where we're all displaced. Right now we're literally displaced and far away from home with not a lot of solutions about how to get home, but I've seen compassion exchanged between complete strangers in numerous cases. And that's been a really wonderful thing to see. But I like how they are so complimentary of each other, how they cooperate with each other, how they make each other better and therefore are such a solid unit. And I hope that we can exercise that same kind of beautiful harmony that's exchanged between Holly and Jess, and also between Lucius and their collaborators. Safe travels, everyone. You know, you guys got the NPR Tiny Desk opportunity, which is absolutely stunning. I think it's still like one of your most awesome concerts, and it's just so broken down and garnered you so many fans. But then you hit the road. 250 dates, you put this band together. How did you do that? So it was always Holly and I with like a rotating cast of characters. Sure. And then when Danny and I started dating, he helped to, we wanted a more electric sound and we wanted to find a band that was like really our band. And through that process, he helped to find Pete, who he had collaborated with for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And the two of them already had such a rapport and such a, a dynamic between the two. And then we met Andy Burry, who is no longer the band. But, you know, that's kind of when things really started taking off for us. always wanted to pursue but have never been able to do where you guys scored an entire movie which I watched the trailer for it yesterday when I was just 
studying all things Lucius and it's called Band-Aid and it looks amazing. But the <laughs> soundtrack and just the trailer was incredible. How did you guys get that opportunity to score a film? I don't remember how it came about other than Zoe wanted an all female crew or mostly female crew. And the producer of the film knew about Lucius through Danny and presented the idea. And we were like, this sounds amazing. I mean, we've wanted to explore film scoring, writing for other people, writing for other projects. And that was a perfect opportunity. And Danny had done a bunch of commercial work, jingle writing, etc. And we had done some with him as well. Mm-hmm. So the three of us basically got together and, and worked on it. And it was really a fun, very detailed uh, imagine, process. Yeah. yeah. The movie's really cute. It's yeah. funny. Well, it looks awesome. It's a married couple who make all of their fights into songs and start a band. And, and their next door neighbor is Brad Armisen. Fred Armisen. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. I work with my husband and I was like, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll get more material for album number four. (laughs) (laughs) Start turning our fights into songs. How long was that process? Like how involved and did they give you the, the film beforehand? Did you know what you were syncing the music to? Edited, but there were specific. Yeah. Scenes and, and Zoe was very involved in the process. I mean, she, we would send her sort of like ideas for songs or moments and based on a cut that she would send us. And then if she liked the direction of that, we would sort of hone in on it. I don't remember it, but it was a several month process. It wasn't very long. Yeah. So when do you guys imagine that you'll hit the road again? What's coming up for you? next year Mm -hmm. we have like a couple little one-off gigs but yeah we're not hitting the road road until next year so we've Um, we've been working on some new stuff and it's we're planning to release it hopefully mm -hmm. early next year Mm -hmm. that's so exciting i can't wait and i hope i get to see you all live jess i hope i get to see you in nashville yeah um for sure this is a podcast about being women in the industry And occasionally these conversations will go to all the ways in which we are faced with inequity or just the general bullshit and rigor of being women in the industry, having to maybe deal with a few more components than our counterparts. But what are some of the things that you perceive to be advantages from being a woman in the industry and being women working together, especially Well, I think we've been super lucky to have worked with and continue to work with all of these women that are so welcoming and into collaboration. Like we've collaborated with so many people and like Brandy, for instance, is a huge supporter of all women and just lifting people, lifting other women up. And we are like that. And we've met 
pretty much everyone we've met in the industry has been like that too. So I feel very lucky to be in that because I think a lot of times people perceive women in entertainment as very competitive and we haven't really come across that ourselves. And we're also not that way with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's apparent. I mean, I think we're very aware that the other offers something that the other doesn't have. And let's celebrate that. Let's use that to both of our advantages. I mean, it's so silly when it has to be or when it doesn't have to be, when it is the other way around. So I think being each other's champion is so important. You're undeniably an example of that, though. I mean, no one could could say otherwise. And it's just so compelling. It's compelling to watch with just your material and your collaboration, the reflections of each other that you guys bring out, but also building each other up as individuals. And it's just wonderful. So I'm a fan for life. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to see you guys in person on the road in 2022 and really appreciate your time. And thank you for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap. You can keep up with Lucius on their socials at I love Lucius. And of course, make sure to check out their touring schedule for this upcoming year. And to keep up with me, my music and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Follow me on With The Band, where you can get exclusive Salute the Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more. And check out my upcoming tour dates on my website at Maggie Rose Music for our remaining dates on the Have A Seat Tour. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. And to close out the show, here's two of us on the run from Lucius.